Welcome back to Nail Babe Pod, a podcast dedicated to interviewing the nail babes of the nail world. I'm your host, Abe the Nail Babe, full-time nail content creator and podcaster. This week, my nail babe is Mel from Loud Lacquer. I only mention it 10 other times in this episode, but Loud Lacquer was the first brand to pay me for my swatch videos. So they do hold a special place in my heart. But Mel has had many lives and jobs before she started her nail polish company, Loud Locker. She was a talent manager and creative director. She helped start KL Polish, which if you've been in the nail polish world for a while, you might remember it was the influencer brand for Kathleen Lights. Mel helped run the creative side of KL Polish, including their campaigns and marketing. And then after KL Polish dissolved, she started her own brand, which we get into all the details about running a business, what goes on behind the scenes, how much photo shoots cost. She's done huge photo shoots for all the brands she's worked with and how that was transitioning into her own small business. So we get into all of that, including what her brand is doing now, which has expanded into also doing custom nail polishes. So either in person or online, you can get a custom polish made, you choose all the pigments and you see the process from mixing to bottling and naming the polish. I will leave links for that below. But without any further ado, oil those cuticles and lotion your hands and welcome Mel to the pod. I am so excited to welcome Mel to the pod. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Abe. Of course. You guys know her probably from her brand, Loud Locker. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to Mel before this, but she was actually the first brand to pay me for my content. Yay. So literally started me on this journey. I was like, wait a minute, people are going to pay me for something that I'm already doing? (laughs) (laughs) So I credit you. (laughs) It was all you. It was your talent that made me want to pay you. So (laughs) (laughs) love that. But you also have a background in beauty, in working with other brands and being the creative director, right? Is I will get into it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. I love to get people to give us their SparkNote versions of how they got into nail polish. But I think we could also do it kind of relating to how you got into the business, where you've worked, like kind of your whole, give us your life story in one minute. Um, Just easy. (laughs) I guess my example that I give for my SparkNotes of how I got into nail polish and posting online is simply nail logical, COVID Mm -hmm. boredom, and self-expression. That is real spark notes. <laughs> uh, we're like, we're like reels. We're two seconds. Okay. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll give you a little more breathing. You can give us a few more sentences. I was going to say, I was going to go for it. I was going to try and do what you did. I would say um, creative executive. Okay. 17 magazine. Um, beauty influencer world. Uh, and specifically working with a nail polish company before starting my own with an influencer and having a lot of experience in just that general beauty nail influencer brand creative world. So all of those kind of things combined. And one day I just decided to stop giving all of my ideas to other people and start my own brand. We love that. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize you had a background in magazines. So I actually, um, 
Yes. I started the 17 magazine YouTube channel. They, they had a YouTube channel um, that was like dormant. It had like 80,000 subscribers and it was the digital age and they were like, we should be relevant. And so they hired me and I really took their channel and I think we got over 600,000 subscribers in one year. And this was like early days. So it was like not easy to do that. It's and still we, not easy to do that. <laughs> right? I mean, right? Because if I have that many. Um, yeah. And we worked with like huge people. And I and I actually was, I'm very proud of this fact. I was the first person ever to get an influencer on the cover of a national magazine. So that was something that I was very proud to do because it was very much bridging the gap between traditional media and the ugly stepsister, which was digital. And, um, you know, really kind of showing that the effort is just as much and the talent is just as much. And so that was something that I um, championed and I'm really proud of, actually. I feel like that still is such a topic, even now today. Yeah. I feel like there's still that, like the traditional media is like, no, no, influencer. But then you're like, but who's watching TV? Like, it's like, but we're really the ones. <laughs> Not that I'm like, you know, whatever. But <laughs> You are. Well, well, you know, I think the, the conversation has sort of shifted a little bit, which I love because wording and language does actually mean a lot. And so um, now people call it the creator economy. And mm-hmm. so it's no longer like I'm an influencer. It's more like I'm a creator. And um, that kind of bridges the gap between all forms of media, whether it be, you know, streaming, digital, TV, film. I mean, even film is on streaming now. It's all sort of convoluted. So, Yeah. Who was the influencer? The influencer was, do you remember Zoella? Yeah. Yeah. So she, it, it was her. And then there was actually two because this is how afraid of the of influencers they were. They, they actually took two different influencers and gave half of the magazines in the United States one and then the other half so that if one of them failed miserably, they could take the other one and put it across. So it was Zoella and God, I forget who the other one was. Oh, um, Bethany Moda. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I definitely watched yeah. Zoella, and she was, like, part of that whole, like... I mean, the, everyone, like, knew each other and would, like, do collabs. That was, like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, yeah. The collab yeah. world was huge. But we did, like, a whole um, YouTube edition of the magazine. So they were on the cover, and then we had all kinds of YouTubers that were in the magazine, and we did features on all of them, and... Okay, that's fun. iconic. I feel like that was, like the time to do that like that was like the big thing was like collabs and like getting people and like sharing and like youtubers like that was huge <laughs> you know what a fun story is too i another thing i'm pretty proud of i had this show on 17 that i created called hot guy showdown and it was a bunch of like really small male youtubers and it was like this whole competition thing that was hosted by this girl um lisa lisbug uh and sh- we did this whole competition and I got to pick the guy that was going to win because it was my show and I picked Charlie Puth before anybody knew who the hell he was he was so talented in this like showdown thing and so he won and he got to be in the magazine and he got to do this whole thing with 17 and I and then like later when he became famous I was like I discovered him but I didn't <laughs> it was many <laughs> years later that he got famous but I like to pretend like I discovered him <laughs> he's so hot I know, anyway. right? <laughs> I know. Great. Love that. You know what makes him even more hot is his voice, though. It's like mm, oh, so talented. <laughs> so talented. So, how did you get into that world? Like, did you? How did you get the job at the magazine? Like, what were you even doing before that? 
Yeah. So like I said, this is aging me, but I was very early days of, of digital. I think this was like 12 years ago. And I um, worked for this other company you may or may not have heard of. It was called Style Hall. And it was the first multi-channel network. I know it's crazy that you don't even know who they are because they were iconic <laughs> way back in the day for like fashion and beauty YouTubers. And um, I ran, I was the executive producer for their YouTube channel. And then, um, and I got that job because I was producing videos for, I was a talent manager and I represented comedians and they would write their own YouTube videos and like, so that's how I started in producing. And then I got that job at Style Hall. And then I got the job at 17 from there. So it was kind of like right place, right time. And I was learning as I was going because it's like there was no, you know, playbook for how to do YouTube. And so, um, but one of the things that I always knew and could recognize right away was that creating your own content on YouTube as a brand um, felt really inauthentic. And so using people who were already on on YouTube and knew how to connect with their audience and sort of finding the elevated brand content that paired with the UGC content and like how to marry it all together. And honestly, I would say that that is the biggest thing that I started with my own brand is the first thing we ever did a week after I launched the company, we put out our first major collab. And so that was very much what I was trying to do from the get-go was um, be a brand that had its own you know, vision, but then also know how to talk to the audience through talent. So. I feel like that is still like something that companies struggle with and try to do and can't do well. <laughs> yes. But absolutely. you'll see... Like on TikTok now, they'll be doing things where they're like, there was some like, I was like a car caught on fire and the whole thing burnt down, but like her Yeti cup was like fine. Uh, so then like they yeah. did a whole thing and I was like, like, anyway. Yeah. Yep. I just watched a whole video on that. It's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because it's like, you have to be a brand, but then connecting to a consumer without feeling like a brand, but you are a brand. And so it, it's a very fine line. And that's why, you know, influencer brands always do really well out the gate because they've got an audience, but then they tend to struggle when it comes to the business side of things, because it's like, well, they know how to talk to their audience, but do they know how to run a business? Um, and so I feel like people are sort of starting to get it more now where it's like, okay, you have the person who's the, the front facing deal with the audience. And then you have the person who's the brand side. And, you know, I will say that that is, it's difficult. Running a brand is not easy at all. <laughs> Running a company is a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So then I'm still like, go back further. Like, what did you, okay. was this like, also, you're like, I just, you were talent managing for uh -huh. comedians. Was that something you wanted to do? Like, what did you envision like for your career? Like, did you go to school for something? Like what is, give us okay, well, all we'll, that. <laughs> we'll go farther back. Okay. So I went to hair school. I went to cosmetology school and I worked in um, Beverly Hills for two and a half years. I was an assistant at like a major salon. And then when it was time for me to be a hairstylist, I think I was only a hairstylist like on my own for like six months. And then I was like, I'm not really into this. Like, I thought it was going to be way more creative. I thought I was going to like work on television and film. And, um, you know, especially in Beverly Hills, it was a lot of like highlights and, you know, base touch. Up. 
Yeah. I mean, not even at that time. It, like that would have been more interesting. It was boring. Okay. It was not interesting. And so I, um, you know, I loved beauty, but I was not into having it as a career. So I, at the same time, was married and he was a comedian and I was going to comedy shows all the time. And I loved comedy. And so I was like, let me just try and get a job in the entertainment industry. And I didn't go to traditional college. I remember my first job, (laughs) the guy, somebody asked me to fax something. And I was like, I don't know how to freaking fax something. (laughs) I like had to watch somebody else do it. And like, I just kind of faked it till I made it. And, um, you know, I think I always had ambition and drive. And so um, pretty early on, I was like, you know, scouting talent and signing talent even before, like I was technically a talent manager. Um, And then I got a job at a talent management company because one of the comedians that I was representing, like got some big opportunity, which got me noticed. And so, um, yeah, I was working at this talent management company, which strangely was actually, again, this was very early days in digital. The company that I worked for opened up a digital side and they're the ones that like represented like Shane Dawson and Fred and I Justine and all of like the very first sort of digital talent. They all worked at the company that I was working at. And so um, it was like, I was working with comedians and they were creating digital content. And so I was technically part of the digital team. And so I got exposed to the whole side of YouTube and influencers while I was representing comedians. And then when I started producing content for them, uh, I was like, this is so much fun. Like, I really love creating content. Managing was fun. And I, it's, I think why I was so good at working with talent and really feeling like I understood their struggles because um, I was kind of in on the ground floor of what they were going through. Um, it was us against like the big guys. So then when I got the job at Style Hall as the executive producer, I just, I really knew how to talk to talent and I really knew how to make something that they felt was authentic to their audience. In addition to working at a company where I could kind of, you know, speak the language of both and and be in the middle. So mm. that was kind of the evolution then 17 was like a big one. And then after 17, I worked again at more management companies in talent and beauty and fashion. And I started working with a specific influencer. And we can say her name because we have a perfectly fine relationship. I love her to death. I know that she's had, you know, we've all had our struggles, but we always worked really, really well together. And that was Kathleen Lights. Well, I mean, that's not a real last name, but we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> we were working together at this management company. And when I was working with Kathleen, she asked me, do you know how to start a nail polish company? And again, I've just always kind of had that fake it till you make it mentality. And so I was like, no, but I can figure it out. And so yeah. I found her investors and we created KL Polish, me, Kathleen and the investors. And they had a, you know, like it was them that owned the company. I was just the one that facilitated it. But then I was running the marketing and all of the campaigns and all of the content and the day-to-day of the LA operation. And so it was so much fun. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved working with Kathleen. She was such a joy. And we, you know, like I really wasn't super into nail polish necessarily at the time. I was more like, I love beauty and I painted my nails, but I wasn't like a, like a huge 
avid nail polish person, um, but the, I just really fell in love with it when I was working there. Going back to like investors, what did this look like? I'm curious how that even works to like start a brand. So I technically wasn't her manager when I connected her with the investors. So oh, okay. this was more just on like a friend note. On a friend oh. note, she asked me if I knew how to do it. The investors were, I worked for them and I knew that they had money and I knew that they were smart business businessy businessers mm-hmm. and so um that's kind of how i connected it was i connected the idea of starting a brand with this influencer and um they invested in it so i technically worked for that company and was just friends with her and then you know when kl polish started that's when i was technically still working for the other company but then also running the content and campaigns and all of the creative on the on the marketing side. Kathleen picked all of the colors and all of the names. That was 100% her, but um we would work together on campaigns and stuff. And then what is that pitch, I guess, to the investors? Like what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I didn't really have to pitch them much because uh-huh. uh, if anything we pitched Kathleen. Like she told me she was interested in starting a nail polish company. I told them and I think everybody at that time, like several companies I'd worked for were all trying to figure out how to launch a consumer brand, especially when it comes to beauty and cosmetics, because it's such a good, you know, margin of what it costs to make in bulk and then versus uh, what you can sell it for. And so everybody was trying to figure it out. And so they were immediately interested when I told those investors. And then they went and found manufacturers and we got some samples. They were in Canada, the investors. Kathleen was in Miami. And so we went to LA or they came to me and I set up this whole presentation with all of these like nail polishes. And uh, it was kind of just like, we're all interested in doing this, but like, let's make sure that, and that's kind of what I always did. That was my role was constantly to facilitate, to be like, okay, here's the talent. This is what she wants. Okay. Here's the businessy businesses. And this is what they want. And like, I was like the talent whisperer and making sure that, um, you know, everything went out. And and that's kind of what my role was for a while was talent whisperer. I mean, I had a really close relationship with her and, and it made it easier because talent doesn't always know how to talk to the business side and the business side doesn't always <laughs> mostly doesn't know how to talk to talent. So yeah, so that's kind of how that worked. But I think that that, yeah, I mean, when we get more into my story, I think that that's a big kind of proponent in when I launched my own brand, what was really difficult for me was that I had always worked at very large companies and I've always had very large budgets and I've always just been the creative executive. And I I think my ideas are bigger than my execution always. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it was, I loved this role because I had you know, the business people handling the business side of things. And then I had a whole huge budget. And then, you know, I could work with the talent to kind of put it together. And that was what I was really good at was creating these giant campaigns and that went across multiple mediums. Like we did video on YouTube and we did, you know, Instagram and this was before TikTok, but it was a blast. Well, because I wasn't really into nail polish at that time, but from what I gather from talking to other people about KL Polish, like, it was a very, like, phenomenon, I don't even know, like, it was just, like, people still to this day, like, KL Polish, like, it was amazing, like, I think it was because about, like, these branded campaigns and, like, and the colors plus the business people, it seems like 
the the trifecta of like all three parts <laughs> made it great. I don't know if you agree with that. I would 1000% agree with that. And you know, it's so interesting because <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know this. So you're going to get the uh, little exclusive on this too. So we all three had our roles. Um, it was one main guy on the business side and he was British, but lived in Canada. And they used to talk about how American I was and, you know, read as loud and opinionated, which they would tell me all the time, which is honestly where I came up with the name loud, because I heard all the time that I was this very loud American and that I just needed to shut up and do my job, basically. Um, I I mean, that's 1000% where I came up with the name loud. I was like, yeah, I am. Um, But they were really good at what they did. They were. They they were very good. They they went to business school. I learned so much from these people. Like absolutely so much. Like I look back on it and I'm like, man, I went to business school while working on a business. You know, like mm-hmm. I learned all of the things. And like their role was to like keep track of like stock and like the convert. I don't know, like making sure we don't order too much or like sell what the like price. I mean, like what is other all the stuff that goes into a business. The P and L, which was the profit and loss, and making okay. sure that we. The money was a big one, and that's probably one of the things I've struggled with the most. I am a creative, and money scares me. Um, <laughs> we had some huge things happen, like behind the scenes that people didn't even know about. Our manufacturer had some huge, um, like explosion fire where they had to shut down the facility for like a month, which meant our entire launch was going to be delayed, which meant it was going into the next year. It was like, we almost had to close down because of it. And then we were also uh, negotiating a a deal with Ulta and we were about to be in like 300 stores and I was building the whole end shelf thing. It was really cool. Like I still have the pictures of it. It was like, we went and visited all these different manufacturers. You know, we did lots of different things and they were the ones that kind of handled anything. Like when we decided we were going to do lotion, they had to find a whole other manufacturer for that. And then components, like where are you going to get the the bottle, the brush, the this, the that. Um, so anything that had to do with dealing with vendors or, you know, money or just any of that hiring, even like when, whenever we would hire somebody, they had to, you know, sort of approve it and all of that. And then I think they were really good at what they did. And then I was really good at what I did. And I had a lot of connections in the beauty space. So at one Mm -hmm. point, you know, I was handling PR as well. Like I set her up with a PR agency and she wasn't great at doing interviews like this because she was so nervous about, pissing people off, which is another thing that I later took to my own brand, which is like, I know I'm going to piss people off, but I'm never going to get to the place where I'm so afraid to be myself that I become vanilla. And I saw it happen firsthand, not just with her, but with lots of beauty influencers who had eyes on them. And they were so afraid to do what they really wanted because they were going to get, there was going to be opinions and and they had to have this image. And I was like, that sounds so suffocating. I like, would rather there be people who don't like me than ever pretend to be anything other than what I am. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I set up a whole New York tour where we went and met with all the magazines and all of these publishers. And like, I, that's another part of what I did in addition to like the campaigns. And then she was fantastic at obviously having an audience and talking to that audience and like giving them what they wanted and the colors and the videos. Some of my favorite videos were just her explaining how excited she was about it. Like we did these fancy ass campaigns, but then like just her being her, she was wonderful and people loved her. And so we all, to your point, yes, we were all good at our jobs. And then what happens oftentimes in business is that everybody 
wanted to have more control. Like I, they, the Canadians tried to like push me out because I was loud and American and they tried to find her somebody else to handle all the creative. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm not doing this without her. And then, you know, they had their squabbles because it was like, who's in charge? No, I am. No, I am. And that's when it all started to fall apart was when everybody forgot that we were a team and um, tried to sort of get control of it. It, it ultimately fell apart. Mm. Which is crazy. <laughs> oh, okay. So the thing I can tell you, which is the inside scoop, is that other company is who started Arosa Beauty. I I've heard this. Okay, so all <laughs> three of us started our own nail polish. Company. Yeah. All three of us. So there's obviously <laughs> Life Slacker, there's Arosa, and then there's Loud. And it's it's kind of fascinating because if you like peel the curtain back a little bit, knowing the backstory, it's like they have all the money. They're investors, and so they throw a ton of money into this brand that they have and like just seeing kind of how that plays out. And then I obviously, you know, am the creative one who has influencer relationships, but I'm not very good at business. <laughs> and <laughs> Let's see how that plays out. And then there's the influencer who, you know, I will say, you know, she's been killing it and I'm so proud of her and I'm so happy that she's doing well. But I think that if she wasn't at the place where she was financially, then because you can just hire people to do the other things. And so she wins. You just hire other people. <laughs> but she's, you know, yeah, like it's just kind of fascinating to see how the three different parts all started their own nail polish brands after KL. Well, you can definitely see what the priorities were in each brand, right? Yeah. Like I definitely, like you said, like loud and we'll get into like all these amazing campaigns that like really big and fun and like what drew me to the brand originally and like same for I mean lights and you know and like Oroso how do you even say it I don't know I like Orosa I don't know Arosa? I yeah. literally Arosa? hadn't heard of the brand until that said post that say they're closing oh my god I didn't know that oh you didn't know this they clo- no. closed I mean it didn't surprise me <laughs> one thing that I think is so fascinating and I think I even texted Kathleen about it is they did this whole campaign and what was another thing is like so they wanted to start this business where they were going to go to multiple influencers and do the same sort of thing where it was like, we start a brand and they, they, I was still there at the time and they hired this other girl who was going to be the one that was going to facilitate these relationships. And they failed so miserably. The other brands that they were doing with these influencers ended up like going away immediately. And so I was like, people don't realize it is not easy to deal with talent. You can't just be like, Hey, we have money. Like there's a lot of like things that go into it. And so um, but yeah, so then they ended up doing that huge campaign with the D'Amelios, but, oh man, they blew up immediately because they had like 2,000 followers. Well, I know the D'Amelios, but then like, what was, they did they something with them? them. Yeah, what was they, it? They like makeup a, or something? No, nail polish. It was? Yeah. And, but out then, of my turf. <laughs> I don't think yeah, that. but the funny thing is it's like they blew up on Instagram because that's where the audience was, but their audience didn't buy anything. Mm. So they spent all this money but it's like again it's like this very complicated like it doesn't just take influence it takes the right kind of influence well also like they're dance tiktokers like it was like why like at least kathleen like had the beauty had the like the audience for i feel like d'amelio's is just like dancing in a room like sorry i don't know i don't know the whole like you know whatever um (laughs) oh my gosh but okay that's fascinating i don't know it's like i also going back to the whole thing of like influencers it's, I think, when you have control over your image, over your whole channel, and then now you have to, like, be in these interviews or, like, be in this place where, like, other people are making decisions for you. Like, I think that can be yeah. scary for a talent or an influencer, right? For sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm also wondering, like, I guess going back to like this triangle of like each part, like if there was <laughs> times where like the business people were like, no, you can't do that. Like you can't actually do this campaign or like where things would like leak into other people's areas, all, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I mean, I think some of, some of the examples would be like, it, it always came back to money, you know, and it would be like, I remember um, early days, they wanted to run um, ads, but the ads were going to be just the bottle. And it was like very salesy and it didn't sound like her at all. And we were like, that's content. And they're like, no, it's an ad. And I'm like, yeah, but it's still content. Like you, you I don't know. And so like, that's that would be entertaining. Be, yeah. And I think that was one of the big things too, was it was like, they were always interested in the bottom line. And I, me and Kathleen always saw like the bigger picture of like, well, you don't want to piss off your, your audience, customers, whatever, um, just for the bottom line, like if you think of the big picture and what it's going to do long-term. And so, yeah, I bled in a lot, but Mm. I, and I think that that trifecta had, had we all been in the same city or like, I I mean, I think, I think that was really hard too. It's like, we were all in very different places and didn't really interact with each other that often. And so when we were kind of siloed into our own things and we were just still like growing and doing whatever, but then once you get to a certain point where you're really big, it's like, okay, well now I don't want that person to fuck up. I don't want that person to, you know, whatever. And so then we, it did get kind of messy. Yeah. Well, I imagine, (laughs) I guess you like grew really fast, right? I think that was that like also the catalyst to like have this all. Yeah, I mean, it it did. Like, it was, I think what we were doing was very revolutionary in this name space. It was a very sort of boring, you know, like it was very different between there was like the indie brands who were doing cool things, but like not a lot of people knew of them. And then there was the big brands that were like these, uh, you know, drugstore brands, but, you know, it wasn't really anything exciting happening. And so I think the fact that we came in and we were like, Oh, you know, drugstore brands, but like also we're relevant. Also, we're not just doing the same thing. Like we're actually like doing these big campaigns. I think it was just very different for the time. And um, it did. It grew really fast and it was very successful. Like it killed it. And, you know, I kind of wish that we all hadn't, (laughs) I don't know, whatever. (laughs) But, you know, I, I ended up working with Kathleen after that. Like I produced a whole series for her on YouTube after KL Polish. It was called Capacito. Yeah. Like I, I did. And then I helped her start her apparel brand. I did all of that with her. And then, you know, I couldn't work in nail polish because of my paperwork with the last company. And I she was going through legal battles with them as well. And I think at some point it was just kind of like for me, I was traveling to Miami so often and I had babies. I had really young children and I was like, this isn't going to work. They wanted me to move to Miami. I honestly thought about it. I moved. I went there and like looked at houses and did the whole thing. And, I, and it just wasn't going to work out. And when it was me and Kathleen... Working together, it was wonderful. Like we worked really well together. But now that it was just other people in her life handling the business side of things that I did not jive well with, that's when I was like, mm, I don't really want to move my whole life to another city when already I am not jiving well with other people who were handling her business side. So we we parted ways and we parted very amicably. Like I I left and you know I and this is something I would change. I didn't tell her ahead of time that I was going to start a nail polish company before we launched and I should have. And I was a coward. And I think that I just was afraid of 
I don't know. I don't even know because there was nothing like illegal about it. And obviously I had a very different vision. I knew that I wanted to be edgy, which was not her. She was anything but edge. And I feel like there's enough room in this space for everybody. We can all have our own brands and our own vision. There's, you know, room for everyone to be nail swatchers because everybody does things a little different. And like, I didn't see a problem with it because I thought, okay, well, she's going to do her thing and she is honed in on what her brand is, like very much so. And I knew that I was going to do things very differently. But I think when I initially launched, people thought there was a lot of drama. And I think she probably was upset at first, but then eventually we talked again and we were like, oh, it's fine. Like, there's, there's, I was like, you have, I am no competition, girl. I have two people <laughs> who follow me, two people. So. Yeah. <laughs> How long was it between? Kayal ending and then starting Loud Locker? At least a year. Okay. At least a year, maybe even more. Yeah, because I worked with Kathleen for like a year after KL Polish. And then I stopped working with her. I stopped working with her and like maybe six months later is when I launched Loud. But that was a while after working for KL because yeah, I was doing other stuff. And so, and the way that I launched Loud was that I knew going in that nobody would know who I was or care who I was. And so I found an influencer immediately. And I didn't want to launch the brand with an influencer because I didn't want people to think it was her brand or that she was involved, like, you know, on the back end of things. So I technically launched Loud with eight colors. And then two weeks later, launched the branded campaign because I wanted to have... And I knew that launching with the eight colors that I did, we were going to sell very little. And they did. They sold very little. (laughs) Um, but then I knew like the, how I was going to make a mark was through having collabs. And so that's why I launched it two weeks later so that I could pay my bills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in the creative side of like branding loud lacquer, right? I love the branding, like four sided bottle spells out loud. I feel like you posted a thing of like with tape or something. Like what was, <laughs> what was that process? Like, how did you come up with that and like work through the branding? I mean, that's where I felt like my moment to shine was like, I wasn't sure about how I was going to do a lot of things, but I knew off the bat, like, this is, this is my chance. Like I had been creating content for other people for so long and very strong brands. Like 17 had a very strong identity that I had to stay within. And, you know, like I said, Kathleen was very safe. I mean, like if you look at the brand now, it's like very like light, airy, like minimal. Yeah, which is very chic. Yeah, exactly. Trendy. And yeah, Yeah, exactly. Which I didn't want to, I wasn't trying to do it for anybody but myself. I think for me, it was like, this is the time where I can finally do exactly what I want. And so I thought about, I had a whiteboard (laughs) with like a whole, like, what are the names going to be as one does? And I kept coming back to the idea that I had been called loud and another thing like um our color sharp elbows oh my god it's so funny if you see the way i'm sitting right now i'm literally sitting like this <laughs> i just realized <laughs> um i had a boss a male boss early in my career who told me basically he was telling me not to be a bitch and he was like you have very sharp elbows and it was supposed to be like a, like watch out <laughs> yeah like like i was cutting people like as i was you know like i was and I, so that was another thing that i was like going to take all of these things that people had said about me being a woman in the you know, executive world and running a brand and a business. And I wanted to be unapologetically myself. And so the loud name stood out and I loved, I love four letter words. I feel like it's just makes sense. (laughs) Like, I don't know. (laughs) Like it just like, it's easy. It's like, you remember it. It's loud. 
And then with the letters on the bottles, I actually think to give credit where credit's due, I'm pretty sure that was my ex-husband's idea. He was a, a amazing creative as well. You know, we had plenty of things that did not work right in our relationship, but I will absolutely say that the reason that Loud was so magical in the beginning was the combination of the two of us, because he was a really, really good editor, director, creative producer as well. And so like the the Bailey video, he directed and edited that and the concept, you know, we came up with together and when the first iteration of it was not great. And then, you know, I was really good at giving notes and, and the creative vision, but he was really good at it. And to be able to have somebody at his caliber basic do it for free, which is what I got. So a lot of those early campaigns were absolutely free. I remember when COVID first happened and we couldn't hire anybody. We did a Save by the Bell collection and we literally filmed it with our friends in our warehouse and all of the content was free because it was just us filming it and he edited it. And so that's where I will say that we, I was fortunate in that I had these big productions that didn't cost a lot, which not a lot of people can say. And so I'm, and because I don't think small, like I have big plans and I have like big ideas. And so if I were to pay for a company to do that, it's very expensive. And in fact, I did. Well, I was like, actually, like how much? Like, let's like give, can you give us like a breakdown? Like, because also when I talk to content creators and being a content creator myself, it's like, I am the director, I'm the editor, I'm the like the whole thing. So like content creator, user generated content, UGC, as you mentioned, like that's a great thing for businesses, right? Because like you don't have to pay I'm guessing a lot more for like the whole setup. So <laughs> if yeah, let's like break it down for people, like what, who are the people, <clears throat> what are like the set? Like if you can give us like a ballpark for like each, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I'll give you two different examples. Both okay. are pretty well known within my brand. One I would say was a super iconic campaign for us was our summer campaign where it was um, shot in Florida and it was, we used an actual creative agency for that. And it was guys and girls. It was very, it was our swingers campaign and it was. I remember it was like by the pool. It was very like sexy, like beautiful, beautiful lighting. Like everything was like all the colors like match perfectly and like to the nail polish. Like it was a, it was a great campaign. That was the one that I did my swatches for. Yes. Yep. And so, so, so let me tell you how much a campaign costs all across the board. So we, I think we spent like $25,000 on that photo shoot, but we got video photos, social content and just the whole, we had to hire models. We had to, you know, get a location. We had to, have a whole crew. There's there's a lot of that goes into it. And that's very much what I was used to doing at all my other jobs. And then so that's just the campaign that is like the the branded campaign. And then I paid every influencer that I worked with. So we in addition to having those photos and videos, I had a lot of UGC content where it was not just swatches, but also um, video swatches, nail art, like all we had like categories for every single like this person's going to do lifestyle. This person's going to do a reels. This is person's going to do this. And so paying across that and then, you know, having to pay a social person to actually post all of the content. And the only reason I was able to do all of that was because I had done so successful with the influencers that I had worked with at that time. Like I would have never been able to afford that on my own, but because it did really well. So the first campaign that we did with Bailey, I had a small investment from friends and family and my own savings. And we spent a small loan of a million dollars. 
No, I'm just kidding. Oh, God, no. I'm kidding me? <laughs> a small loan. <laughs> I wish. You know, and then her campaign was similarly like twenty to 25000 mm. Um, But that, again, like the location, and we had Ariana Grande's nail person came and did her nails, and we had, you know, makeup artists. And also, like, a crew, a film crew is not just one person. Like, it's oh, like minimum what? Like, I don't know, five, six, maybe, or even more. Well, oh, yeah, there's like at least 10 people there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <at least. laughs> and then for her next campaign, which was the other one I was going to talk about, we pitched her an idea for Aqua Tafana and she had so much fun with the first video. And then she was like, I love that idea. I also have this other idea. And we're like, oh, we love that too. And she's like, can we film them both? So we actually had two videos for Aqua Tafana, which meant that we had two days at a location at a vineyard in Temecula with a crew of 10 people. For two days at a time, we had to hire like a drone. It was like a whole, it was real freaking expensive. Not to mention the fact that I'm paying the influencer. So like that is a huge junk as well. So I'm paying for the video. I'm paying for the influencer. I'm paying for the swatches. I'm paying for, you know, UGC. And so those were very big expenses for somebody who was paying for it out of the profits that we made. I didn't have a company backing me. And I think that was one of my, I will say that one of the hardest things for me was I went into this brand as if I was an executive working for a big company instead of as a small business who was starting out and learning. And I made so many mistakes early on that are mistakes you have to make. Every business makes, you know, learning mistakes in the beginning, but you're not spending the kind of money that we were when you're making those mistakes. And so we did so well with Bailey. And then we had one influencer campaign. Um, oh, and the other huge expense is the product. You're working with an influencer. You can't order two nail polishes. You have to order a lot of nail polishes. But you don't know how many you're actually going to sell. Because like I said, following doesn't indicate sales. And so we had one influencer, and I will not say who it is, that we ordered a lot of nail polish. A lot of nail polish. And spent a lot of money. And it did not do well. But it's like, those are mistakes that have to happen. But at the same time, again, as a small business owner, I ate that I ate that money, you know, and it was like, then I had to try and launch the next one with a much like this much money, because I didn't have any, you know, and so that was one of the hardest things was, because I was working with influencers, it was really hard to navigate how much to order, how big it was going to be, how much like the deals to do. And, and I really wish that had I I wouldn't do anything differently because I'm a huge believer and things happen for a reason and you are where you are because of the mistakes you made. And that's what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to, I kind of scratched everything. My whole life got realigned and I was like, you know what? I'm killing myself. I don't have time for my kids and I'm so stressed. And like, what am I, who am I trying to prove anything to? And so I really scaled back a bajillion and was like, I'm going to start building this business as if I was a small business starting from scratch. And that is what I've decided to do is like, I'm no longer going to do massive campaigns. Eventually I would love to. And if I had a backer, if anyone wants to give me a million dollars, <laughs> then I could do amazing campaigns. And, and I, and I feel very proud of the fact that people know I'm capable of it. I just can't, I can't do that as, as my own brand. Like I, it, it's really you know, you hear massive brands going under because they don't have fluid money because things happen. You know, the economy goes down, e-commerce is no longer popping, the algorithms are changing, 
our following freaking gets stolen by somebody in Turkey, 30,000 followers in Turkey now. Um, I was going to talk about this, but <laughs> shit happens, man. Crazy. And like, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Honestly, I yeah. just was like, I choose, I choose happy. Yeah. Well, cause I think it, from the outside, like it did seem like, like, Oh, this is a big, like they're a big brand. Like they're doing these big moves, but then like it, at the same time, it's like, no, sorry. Like we're like a small, just two people or like, so they're like, wait, <laughs> so like what's happening? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> when you were confused, I know. <laughs> <laughs> So like I imagine it was like it was like which which hat do you want to try to like put forward and like they don't necessarily it's like you which you can choose what persona you want to like forward to but then sometimes I feel like that was like the <laughs> made it worse because mm-hmm. then like you anyway but. no you're, you're you're absolutely right I mean I think that b- back in the day it was like fake it till you make it and that's always yeah. been my mentality and so I didn't like to to be honest about the fact that we were pretty small like we were always small. And people assumed we were this massive company and I couldn't, even in times where we were struggling with different things, I couldn't be like, oh my God, if you guys don't buy this next campaign, we're going to go under, you know, it was like, you know, but then (laughs) it was just a roller coaster. It would go up and down. So whatever. (laughs) That's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And then, I mean, that whole, like, there was like a whole like shipping thing. Right. And then like you said the like, what happened with the followers? How did that happen? Someone stole your account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm terrified of this. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I will say this is a huge thing that I, that I tell people all the time, but it was kind of a blessing in disguise. I will tell you that, you know, we had as many followers we did because of the influencers we worked with, mm-hmm. like we did giveaways and things. And so these weren't, these weren't people who were like, I am dying to follow you. It was more like I followed you because of a giveaway or because this influencer told me to. And so I think that there's a good side to having a lot of followers, which is it gave us a lot of opportunities. You know, more influencers would want to work with us because we had, I think we had like 35,000 followers, you know, and that was just on Instagram. And then we had a lot of views on YouTube. Our, our subscriber rate was was low, but I think we had like a ton of views. So yeah, somebody, the first time that we had an issue with Instagram, it just wouldn't let us in for like 30 days. And that's when we started the second account because we were like, oh, it just won't let us in. And we thought it was gone. And then it just randomly came back one day. Um, And then, yeah, we, when we were at our peak at 35,000, somebody sent a link and, um, you know, you, I had multiple people working for me at this time and they, somebody from Turkey took over the account. I did all of the things I was supposed to do. I had friends who worked at Instagram who were pretty high up and they were working with me and I had to like send a picture of my face and like, it was so much, so many steps and nobody could get it back. And this guy was like, if you don't give me, you know, $10,000, I'm going to delete your account. And I was like, have fun. (laughs) Absolutely not. But then what, what that made me realize was like, I thought that our sales were immediately going to go down. And the thing is, is that our email list was still all of those people, if not more specific customers, because anybody who went to the website wanted a discount, they were actually going there interested in buying nail polish, as opposed to just being a follower on social. And that's where I talk about like the difference between sales and follower count is they're not the same. And so we had more sales and response from just sending personal emails and um, campaigns than we ever did from posting anything on our own socials. Now, when an influencer posted, for sure, because, you know, fans will be fans. So then it made me realize, like, it was easier to connect with people uh, when we had a smaller account. But it was pretty scary. (laughs) And, like, you know, (laughs) if that's how you're looking at our success, then we don't look very successful. So that 
crushes your ego a little bit, but in reality, it doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I definitely feel that because I think like a lot of there's a different there's different levels of followers <laughs> that I've gained followers from just like, oh, it's a viral video. Like, sure, follow. Like, I never go on Instagram or like, it's just they'll never my algorithm will never show my videos to them again. <laughs> right? right. Like your follower account shouldn't matter on how much you get paid for like user generated content, UGC. But it also does kind of lend a lens of legitimacy to be like, oh, I have a lot of followers. Like people like what I'm doing. Right. So mm-hmm. there is that kind of like unspoken value put on followers which is weird when it's like no it doesn't really and same with like for you it's like when you like have the like x amount of followers it makes it seem like you're more legitimate or like more successful when it's like really like that number doesn't really mean anything i think especially for a content creator i think it's a little different for brands just because again a lot of our followers weren't because of us they were because of creators whereas like when people are following a creator it's because of the content you're creating so i think that that's definitely in and of itself an achievement, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean, like you said, su- success or for me, what I look for is production quality, hands down. Like I I don't care so much about following as much as I always cared a lot about production quality. Um, and then also, what is somebody like to work with? Do I want to have a business relationship with this person? Because uh, there's a million, and, and I think that this is might come off the wrong way, but I've been working with creators for like 12 years now and the amount of creators I've seen come and go rise and fall. It's like, you are replaceable. <laughs> and so, but I'm replaceable as a brand. Yeah. Well, everybody's yeah. replaceable. So I think that that's where relationships matter and building long-term relationships with people. So for me, it's like, I have the people that I know that I will continue to work with. And it's like, look, I might be really down right now and I can't pay you as much as I used to, but as soon as I come back up, you're the first person I'm paying. And for creators, it's like, you know, you can work with every brand and make a little bit, or you can try and find a couple of relationships. And as you build together, you end up making more and it's like more sustainable um, because it's easier for me to work with the same person over and over again than it is to keep finding new people. So I don't care if you have 10 followers versus somebody who has a thousand, obviously those numbers are, but <laughs> but like, again, if, if somebody else is rising, 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 and you're just slowly coming up, but we have a good relationship and I trust the content and I know like I'm, I'm more willing to work with that person. I think that definitely, I find that is true as well, worth working with brands when it's just like, I'll do like a one-off thing. It's just like, I don't know, like, I don't know what this process is going to be. Like, are they going to make me do like revisions for no reason? Like, what is this <laughs> where it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I'm like, how long is it going to, how are they going to take to pay me? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's going to happen? But like with people I know, it's like, okay, yeah, we, we, we got it. Like we have a shorthand, like, even though mm-hmm. it is kind of frustrating when you get a new, sometimes people leave the company and you get a new person you're working with. Yeah. So like, that's kind of on. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's why even for me, even when I had people who worked for me, um, I still always had a personal relationship with every single person, every creator that I worked with. So even if somebody else was handling the day-to-day, I made sure to have a personal relationship with all of the creators that we worked with in any capacity because it's important to me. Like, it's my brand and you're representing it. And so even if someone else is handling the details, yeah, that goes back to my talent management days. Like, you have to have a relationship with the person. Like, Yeah, I'm curious about the talent management days and also, like, how that informed <laughs> your relationship with talent in the future, but also like choosing who to do collabs with like Bailey Sarian. Uh-huh. I don't, I guess I didn't know her I, that much, but like, again, she was more like makeup, less nails or was it? 
what was her niche? Because I feel like it would maybe you know, that wouldn't be an obvious connection, but obviously was hugely successful. It's fascinating because I think that when we first launched with Bailey, it was one of those enigma kind of things where it was like, I was not a brand yet. I didn't exist yet. So like, why did she work with me? You know? And then it's like, she, I actually knew her talent manager. Um, we would work together at a company previous. And I will say if there's anything that I am excellent at, it's networking. Like I have a lot of different connections. And I think that's what has gotten me as far as I have is um, I try to always be nice to people and not burn bridges. And so eventually, you know, those relationships kind of come back and play. And so I knew her manager and she told me, she was like, you know, I have this client who no brands really want to work with because she talks about murder and she's edgy and she's got tattoos. And I was like, sign me up. Like I was (laughs) coming out the gate Like I wanted to be different. I wanted to be edgy. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be shocking for like my very first campaign. And so our first campaign together, I was the first brand she ever worked with. She had never done a brand deal before then. And she was big, but she wasn't massive. She, um, you know, our collection didn't sell out right away. But then all of a sudden she started working with this other company who I worked with as well. (laughs) And they um, were repurposing her content on Facebook. And it was actually blowing up on Facebook. And so then all of a sudden one day, the video that we did where she was talking about us resurfaced on Facebook like seven months later and it blew up on Facebook. And so then the original collection that had still like slowly had sold here and there, like, you know, was successful, just wasn't massive. All of a sudden my phone one day, you know, was going, and I was like, what is happening? And me and Cassie were like trying to find who had talked about us, what had happened? Like, why were we suddenly blowing up? And it was her video from seven months earlier resurfacing, which was fascinating. And then she blew up. And so then when we did our second collab, she was just massive and she has such a fandom. So I think the first one was really kind of like, you know, just the stars aligned. Like she hadn't really worked with any brands and this was the first person that I was going to work with. And I really loved her vibe and her style. And we listened to the same kind of music. And so um, it just, it made sense for the kind of brand that I wanted to have. And it didn't matter to me whether she had a lot of followers. I mean, she she had a following, but it was more like I was showing the world who my brand was. And this was the kind of influencer that aligned with it. And so every influencer after that, um, you know, and I will say that sometimes you lose your your vision and you do go for numbers and they don't always work out. But I, a lot of the people that we worked with, I feel like really did embody our brand. Like the next person we worked with was Ariel Versace, which was a drag queen. And I loved drag shows. And my brother, my late brother, is actually the one who connected me to Ariel. And so, again, that just kind of worked out. And I was like, how freaking fun. And it was really fun. And he didn't really have a huge following. But he was known because of being on um, Drag Race. But he didn't have a huge following. But it was such a fun campaign to work on that it was like, again, like, I don't really care about that side of it, I'm trying to build this brand and I'm trying to build an image and kind of standing out from the crowd. I mean, what other nail polish brand was working with drag queens? The answer was none. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to be that. I felt like um, maybe this is just me being a snooty brat. I don't know. But I felt like back then, every nail polish brand that I paid attention to, and there's definitely exceptions, but for the most part, 
they were all very like proper is a good way to put it. And like every time you looked at a nail polish Instagram feed, it was like, it was just the hand holding the nail polish and that's it. And it's like, you could intertwine any brand and it just, nothing was like, and to me, it was like, that's not who I was. Like I wanted a brand I could relate to. I wanted a brand that was messy. <laughs> I wanted a brand that was like edgy and fun. It was like, this isn't what an Instagram feed looks like. And that's exciting. And one of my favorite um, publications to follow at the time was um, Plastic. Do you know who Plastic is? I don't think so. Oh my God. Look them up on Instagram because I literally have so many pictures from their Instagram um, in my original pitch deck where I was like, I want to be weird. I like one of the first pictures we ever took for an ad was like a hand next to a foot. So that like immediately, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, so many people will be like, what's happening here? And that's what I wanted. I wanted like the, wait, what the fuck is this? And so it was so fun. Those early days were so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. I'm curious about the progression of the brand. What do you mean by like the progression? Like, I guess it sounds like you, you were like, hmm? you can be honest with me. I won't get offended. I mean, you have, so it's like you have these huge like campaigns with the influencers and it seems like you like put a lot of money into that. And then it's like, you're using that profit or like that return, like to pay for the next one. So it's like, you don't have a lot of room. So it seems like maybe there was some, and like what you yeah. said, like some of them didn't perform as well. So you had less for the next one. And then it seemed like there were some other things. Like, I don't know, there was like a whole shipping thing. You had to like move the whole company and like restart the in, like wake out now. It was like a whole thing, <laughs> which is like yeah. fascinating as like a business side too of like, how, what decision are you making to like try to future proof or like, why would you make that like decision? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's hard because I don't want to make it sound like these are excuses. I think that these were all learnings. Um, right. so these are things that happened, but a big part of why, you know, we were successful and weren't successful and whatever you even want to call success is, is because of decisions that, you know, ultimately come back to me. And so I own that. But I will say that, um, you know, we there was a couple of things that really happened that completely just crushed us. One was that um, people don't realize that with e-commerce, you have to pay sales tax in um, lots of different states. Okay. So most small businesses who are, you know, e-commerce don't have to pay sales tax in a lot of different places because they haven't hit that threshold yet. But because of these influencer campaigns, I hit the threshold in 13 different states. So it was very hard to manage basically being a brand of this caliber during these time periods and then a brand of this caliber during other time periods. And there was a huge gap. And so it was like, had I worked for a big company and done the whole influencer thing like I did, I think it would have been very successful. But for me as a small business, it it was it was too expensive. Like I didn't have the money to pay for. And then not only do I have to have sales tax in 13 different states, I have to have somebody manage that because some states charge you quarterly, some charge you every six months, some charge you weekly. So it was just, it was a lot. And then accounting and it was just so many, the more money you make, the more money you spend. And it was a lot for me and, you know, two people at the time to handle. Um, and then another thing was we got a lawsuit, which people think is like, says something about my, oh yeah. People think it says something about my character, but like you're nobody in Hollywood unless somebody hates you. And the moment you get sued, you've made it. And so, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> we, had, we had a very large lawsuit from um, an old advertising agency and it was baseless and absolutely our lawyers were like, if you were actually to go to fight this, there's no way they would win because there's so much proof like about that it didn't make any sense. But it, that doesn't matter when somebody brings a lawsuit against you, you have to pay to fight it. And it's very expensive. Lawyers mm. are incredibly expensive. And so this guy actually had a friend who was his lawyer. So he was basically just trying to bleed us out, which sucked. Can you talk about what it was about? Yeah. So, I mean, basically he thought that he should get a huge portion of the Bailey campaign uh. um, because we made a bunch of money from that campaign, but it was like, yeah, but she was the marketing and we didn't have a contract. So it was like, technically you were a consultant who was doing our ads, but like it, it, he, he was trying to say that we were in breach of contact track, but we didn't have a contract. And I was okay. like, so show us the contract. And he was like, well, yeah. I don't have, it was assumed. And we we're like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Anyway. But that's a lot of time and effort and money, right? That's just like, and plus, he he sued us in New York, which means I had to hire a New York lawyer. Yeah. You can't just hire. It had to be somebody to file the paperwork in New York. It was a whole mess. Um, and it that really, really was difficult. Um, and then... You didn't have a contract with Bailey? No, no, no. With him. Oh, he was a consultant. Okay. So we hired him on a consultant basis, but he was saying that we were in breach of contract as if he was like our full-time advertising agency, but he oh. wasn't. Okay. Yeah, and we... Thousand percent had a contract with Bailey. Yeah, I was like, wait. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then another huge thing that happened was the shipping thing where this company, because we were getting, and again, it was like, remember like the, the loud here and then the loud here. When we had these influencer campaigns, there was no way that we were able to ship it ourselves. So we had to hire a company. And like, that was sort of the business model of the company was to do these influencer campaigns. And so we had to have, you know, people the ability to get those orders out. So we hired this company and they were just constantly messing up constantly. Orders were like months behind and like it was it was a mess. And so that sucked because I vetted them. I even paid a consulting firm to find us the right shipping company because I wanted to make sure it was a good fit. Anyways, it's boring, but it was very expensive. I mean, these are all the things that like you don't see in a company, right? That, like, you just see the campaign, but then you're like, wait, but, like, all the stuff that goes into it. And, like, not – I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, part of, like, for the – back to me, the podcast <laughs> where I'm like, oh, it's just like, oh, you just put up a podcast. But I'm like, the scheduling, the, like, all the things yeah. that, like, you're like, how – I didn't think about this. Like, I just yeah. think about, like, a fun, like, talk to somebody and, like, it's fun. But, like, you're like, wait a minute. Like, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like, you just don't know about it or no one, like, talks about because it it's boring or it's just like, that's what you have to do. Like, that's just what it is. But like, you yeah. don't think about that. And if something goes wrong, then it's like even more. A thousand percent. And it's like <laughs> the amount of times that I've said that I wanted to start a podcast. And then every time I go to do it, it's a lot of effort. <laughs> it's a lot of freaking effort. Um, so I commend you. I know what you're doing behind the scenes and you're doing it. You're <laughs> killing it. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was a, a big one. And then the biggest thing of all, and again, like, I don't want to use this as an excuse, but the this, the moment that everything changed was when my brother died. Mm -hmm. And that was right when the shipping thing had happened. And I actually flew home to deal with it. And that is when I sent an email to everyone telling them about the shipping. I was in my mom's living room, just bawling my eyes out. And it was like so many things were were piling up about this company. And it's like normal malady would be like, okay, this is happening. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. But I, my entire soul was ripped out and I couldn't do anything. And then when I got back from 
my from California is when personal things beyond my brother started happening and I got divorced shortly after. And personally, I just had so many things happening in my life that it was like all of the things that go along with business that I signed up for. And I, you know, I'm nobody special. Things happen to people. And at the end of the day, I was like, it's just nail polish. And I just realigned all of my priorities. And it was like, I, I love, and and I've, I've almost quit so many times more than I can tell you because of these personal things. And what always brought me back was people our babs saying like, I would get messages like, I know you're hurting, but just wanted you to know like how much this company means to me. And then I would get messages about, you know, feeling included in a community. And I, it always brought me back and it always made me want to keep trying. And so that's where I think a lot of people were really confused and understandably so is that it felt very they're quitting. They're not. They're dying. They're not. They're here. They're not. And and that's because that's what was going on. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like I was not in a good place at all. And um, so for a good, almost like, a, I don't know, a year, I would say is was the, the brunt of the grief and the struggle of continuing or not. And what really some of the things that really brought me back to life was when I started doing the create your own nail polish in person and dealing with humans in person because I lived in Texas. I was no longer married to the person I had been with for 20 years. My family wasn't here. My brother had just died and I was very alone. And being in front of people again and interacting and seeing the joy in people's faces when they were creating and having fun and I could just be myself and nobody was going to write mean comments about me, (laughs) you know, like in person. And it was what I needed. It was really, really what I needed. And so I did. I shifted my focus to that for a while. But it was a lot of the comments of of the online community and the people that I just loved that um, kept me sort of dabbling there. And then Cassie and I both kind of got to a place. And for anybody who doesn't know, Cassie is my right-hand man and been with me since the very beginning. And, um, you know, she has seen me through all of this. And me and her were making a lot of decisions together. And she was working really hard and and struggling personally too. And we were both kind of just like, we took a deep breath and we, I think we stopped posting on socials for like a good two months. And we were just like, let's just take a step back and decide what we really want. And you know what? People got upset about the, you know, lack of transparency, I guess. I don't know. I felt like I was pretty transparent, but I, I guess there was times where I wasn't telling the full story behind the scenes because I was like, nobody wants to hear about my messy life right now. Um, But that's where we are now is that we really took a step back and decided what it is that we want to do in the future. And having sort of been on this roller coaster, what is it that brings us joy? And to me, the biggest thing that brings me joy is people, you know, Mm -hmm. like the community and people in person and content and creating content. And so um, those are the things we're focusing on. And I probably won't do any huge campaigns anytime soon because I think that's what was killing me. So yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> and because I think that is also what I remember so vividly about the community, the bab, the badass, what is it, bitch? What is it? <laughs> badass boss bitches. Badass boss bitches. Is the... <laughs> Bab community, right? Like there was such 
and I think like other brands have communities, but I don't know. There was something different about it. Was like very like I feel like you knew a lot of the people. Like you would see the recurring like names, and like it, I think it was like what was her name? Jenny. Jen. Jenny. Yeah, yes, yeah. Jenny. Yeah. Love Jenny. She was like. I feel like she was like really like I feel like in the beginning too she was like cheering me on and like so I feel like there was such a great community there and I think that goes back to like the whole thing with like the followers and was like no like we still have the community like so we just had this number like it's really about the people and like the joy about like doing nail polish and like I even now like it's like yeah sure I do like work with brands but it's like no I still enjoy this and like it's more about the community that like I enjoy so much about posting online right yeah. like that is the thing that I love it now getting to do that with this podcast. So anyway, mm-hmm. I I think it's commendable, right, to like go back and be like, no, it's about the community. Like it's about these people. Like we want to share with other people and like create and have fun with nail polish, right? Like you have – you built this whole like mobile truck thing. Like I want to hear about this too. <laughs> like this is iconic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I will say just to touch on the Babs for like a second, um, mm-hmm. you know, people <laughs> – People think like badass boss bitches means like you have to go out there and hustle culture. And maybe maybe there was a moment where I did think that because I was hustling. But to me, um, that's not what a Babs is. To me, it's kind of like, again, if I look at my daughter going into school every day and being like nervous about like, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? And just thinking about my own brand and like, you know, trying to be authentically myself. I think that that's more what a Babs is, is somebody who is unapologetically themselves and just doing what they love and being who they are and not worrying about what other people think about them. And another huge thing is lifting each other up. I've always been huge about that. Like, again, there's enough room for everybody. And how can we be cheerleaders to each other? And this world is hard enough as it is. Let's come together and like support each other. And like, you know, I try and buy from people when they have uh, new things that are exciting. And I try and do, you know, we, we try and be cheerleaders as much as possible. And so I think that that is a huge proponent of what made our community so special was that we really were championing, championing each other. And so I'm proud of that. And I will, you know, continue to love that always. But um, so what we're doing now. So we, so now our company is loudbabs.com.com. And so one of the things that we do is you can come in in person. We have a Airstream that we renovated. It's super cute in Waco and you can create your own nail polish. And I love it. It is so much fun. It is all the things that like I enjoy about this world, which is color and, you know, expression and even naming it and like thinking about what you're going to do and like what you're going to you know, what the, what the theme is or what the inspiration is. It's very much what makes me excited. And so, you know, we have our custom colors that we make, which is uh loud limited. Um, and so those are the custom ones that Cassie makes and they're completely hand mixed. We still have the loud lacquers. So you can still get the manufactured nail polish, which um, is a big part of like, we do, you know, a fair amount of uh, wholesale. And the wholesale is like to box store or like what is the wholesale we're available um in free people and also um beyond polish and then we're working on a bunch of other deals and so that's something that we're currently actively leaning into is the idea of not just direct to consumer because again direct to consumer can be very difficult and so we want to have i want to dabble in a little bit of everything instead of putting all of my eggs in one basket and then stressing when something happens and so and then we also have the loud lounge which is where you can create your own nail polish the whole create your own nail polish loud lounge experience we are expanding 
which more to come on that. Exciting. I feel like that is such a, and like it, I feel like it goes back to like working with people, right? Mm -hmm. The like talent, the like, and sharing that creativity. I feel like that is something that like people don't know or like know how to do, but like making that accessible. Like, I think that is so exciting. Like, even though it's just like, I don't even me, I'm just like, yeah, I have like 3000 bottles of nail polish. Like, is it that exciting? But I'm like, that's like, you get to like do what you want to do. Like put random stuff in there and be like, I don't know if it's like put dirt in. I don't, you know what I mean? Like literally do whatever you want to do. And like, you just have like parties, right? You'll go to like events and like, I feel like that is, I think that's exciting, honestly. Like, and it is, it is something different. Like, I don't think, I mean, people aren't really doing, I mean, people hand mix, obviously, like small indie right. brands, but it's not like something accessible to a lot of people. So it's something like setting you apart, making you something different, like bringing it to the people, sharing that creativity. Like, it's just, it's exciting. Thank you. I, I, I honestly love it. And it's been something that kind of came about on accident and has been so much fun. And so leaning into that. And then one other thing that we're also as a part of our brand 2.0 is, you know, loud lifestyle. Like we do more than just nail polish. We have like a whole lifestyle side and my super cute clock that says oil your cuticles. Um, <laughs> and I, so it's a reminder. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like another, again, another side of me. It's like, I'm, I'm more than, or more than just a nail polish brand. And, um, I really think that loud is an expression and, you know, like our community is very much its own beast. And so that's what we're leaning into. And it, and it brings me joy. Good. <laughs> it brings us joy too, right? To see that's when, like, if when people are happy, then everyone is happy. Right. I don't know. Is that so like, <laughs> And I think you, know, you can tell, right? When people if you're on like line or like if I make a video and I'm like not feeling it, I'm like, this is not a good video. Like I don't <laughs> I'm not gonna post that. I and I really on a personal note, I'm you know, was in it, like I said, a very hard place for at least a year, maybe even longer. And now I'm in a very, very, very good place. And so I'm re-energized and I feel like I am able to give this my all again. And I'm excited to give it my all. And I think that's why we are very clearly defining we want the future to be. Um, but I am so jazzed. And and to everybody who, you know, sent messages during those dark times, like people don't realize how meaningful it is. And I'm just so grateful for our community and for, you know, just nice people in, in general. But like you said, people don't know, even if they think they know, they don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. And so... I always just encourage people to give people the benefit of the doubt and be kind, you know, like kindness at the end of the day costs you nothing. And uh, talking about brands or people behind their back or on Reddit boards is fun, but there's people who are attached to those comments. And so I just, you know, really want people to remember that we are all humans and to just spread love. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and wholeheartedly agree. Yes. <laughs> People in my comment section oh <laughs> need <my> to learn. <laughs> I know. It's it's different. when it becomes personal, then it's like people like will just make fun of like whatever. And it's like, I don't care. But when it's like so I got a few comments when it's like actually something like really personal or like I don't that I delete that. Like I don't need yeah. that level of negativity and like and just like how that affects other people too. Like so I can be like, sure, I don't care. Like I don't know these people, but like other people reading that in my section, my comment section, like I don't want to be spreading that. So like that's yeah. Absolutely. Be unapologetically yourself. And if that means protecting your your, you know, sanity in the in your community, absolutely do it. Yeah. So I agree for sure. 
Well, I thank you for being so open and sharing your story and continuing to spread love. Loudbabs.com. <laughs> 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 on Instagram, it's, it's what is it? Babs? Loudbabs. Loudbabs. Yeah. And also on YouTube and TikTok and, and all the places. And right now we're doing our 12 Days of Christmas, which is all custom hand-mixed colors. Um, and I'm filming a reels for every single one of them. So Cassie is making them and I am showing you how they are made and they're really fun. So check us out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is exciting. It's really And fun. if people want to do the hand-mixed loud lounge that's in Waco currently, correct? Um, they can do it in Waco or they can book a virtual appointment with Cassie and she will uh, make it from anywhere, including international. We've had somebody from Scotland do it. Oh, okay. So anyone can get their custom nail polish. Yes, they sure can. They can name it. And we do glitters, shimmers, hollows, creams, all kinds of fun things. So I know it can be a little intimidating to be on video with someone you don't know. But honestly, Cassie is as down to earth as it comes. And she will help guide you to anything you want. And it's a really, really good custom Christmas gift, too. If you have like an inside joke with somebody and you're like, Ashley likes pink and she likes to be called a biznatch, then you make a pink polish called biznatch and you are the coolest friend ever. Actually, that's a great idea. I know. It's actually really fun. <laughs> also love Cassie. Like I've been on some meetings with her and like we go, you go live all the time and like, yeah. she's just, she's amazing. So yeah, love Cassie. She, she's my, she's my yin to my yang, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank that's you cool. again. Thank you. This was so much fun. You're a very good interviewer. It was very casual. I felt very comfortable. (laughs) You were wonderful. Okay. I feel like we really got the life story here. (laughs) I'm here for it. I feel like I was vaguely aware of what was going on with Loud Locker, but it's fascinating to hear the behind the scenes and all the things that it's not necessarily fun to talk about, but I'm glad that we have this forum so we can learn more and share with each other. So let me know your thoughts down below. Leave me a comment. Leave me a review. Again, all of the Loud Locker, Loud Babs info, including the custom mixed polish links will be in the show notes. And now for some comments. But before we do, I did want to give a shout out to Emily. We were DMing on Instagram and she mentioned she was going through a hard time and needed a little encouragement. So we're here for you, Emily. We support you. We love you. I know it's not much, but I hope you can find some joy in the little things. I know I always self-soothe with a good meal. So eat something good tonight and paint your nails. Why not? Hannah Joel says, absolutely iconic. This might be my favorite episode yet. Thank you for sharing with the world, Abe and Hannah. Hannah rocks an episode. By YouTube views 347 says, just brilliant. This makes me happy. Well, I appreciate you watching and I will uh, dip you later for <laughs> views. Is uh, YouTube listening? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I won't. I love Fresh Paint says, Chan is such a wonderful person with an amazing heart. Love the podcast inception. Well, thank you. Completely agree. If you guys don't listen to Plogasmic podcast, you're missing out. Of course, my favorite episode is the one with me. Well, thank you again for listening. Thanks again to Mel for sharing her story. And I will see you next Thursday.